2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, welcome to the New Books Network podcast. I'm your host, Ari Barbalat. It is my honor and privilege to be in dialogue today with Michaela Niman, Nicole Kolmar, and Rebecca Hassan. We are discussing the edited volume Sista Stand Up Strong of Van Watsu. Women's Anthology, published in New Zealand by Victoria University of Wellington Press, twenty twenty one. Rebecca, Michaela, and Nicole are writers based in Vanuatu and New Zealand, and it is my humble honor to be in dialogue with you today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Um, to begin, what inspired you to put this anthology together?
1: Well, if I start, it's Michaela here. Um, it was simply the fact that I couldn't find any fellow writers when I lived in Manuatu in um, 2012 to 20, um, end of 2015. And then Rebecca and I happened to have our work exhibited at the International Women's Day exhibition at Bastian Foundation and Art Foundation. And there was my poem and there was Rebecca's short story. And we looked at each other and say, wow, are you a writer too?
2: Wow. What inspired you to become writers? Would anyone like to share anything about your personal lives and lived experiences that catalyzed your journey to become writers.
0: I'm happy to have a start with that one. Sure. Ari. So um the notes that I was making to myself was, you know, I've always loved to read. Um, and I think first I am a reader. And it's really, really hard to find works that are written by people like myself. I remember when I was growing up, I was reading Enid Blyton's, you know, Mallory Towers. I was reading about worlds that were so different from my own, the Nancy Drews and Hardy Boys. Those were the hits when I was in high school. Um, And I really just was looking for books everywhere. Just an anecdote, when we were growing up on on Santo Island, which which Nicole is very familiar with, uh, there was no library and my mother went and found a private library in someone's house. And she asked if we could borrow books from there. And we had books from there and we and we read. As a writer, I remember that I've always written. My memories of writing go back to when I was nine years old and I had a journal. And I used to write in that every day or every day that I could. After school, I remember I'd come home and write down, you know, really nonsensical things, what I did that day, what happened, what made me happy. And I've always just done that. I've always kept the diary before the days of, you know, the internet and online schedules and all these things, I've always um, found myself putting down thoughts on paper and putting down uh, words on paper. I've just always loved, loved words. Um, I've always, I've also been inspired by uh, writers who who had similar experiences to mine. So I refer to Grace, Mira, Melissa and Mildred Sope. But what makes me sad is I only discovered them much later. I had graduated from university and I was back home working. uh, And then I discovered them. I was reading Shakespeare in high school, you know, reading literature that was far removed from my own experience. And that's really been one of the things that's inspired me to write and get my own experiences and thoughts down on paper something that someone can pick up and relate to and be able to say, yeah, I have a similar experience or I have the same experience. And I have to say that that's been something that's been, you know, a key driving force for me.
3: Thank yes, for
0: I, I think I would echo that. Um, I came to
3: writing later. Um, I think I was always writing, but I sort of started taking it seriously much later and it was really out of anger you know just because there was just no stories I mean I I come from a more of a visual arts background and I was quite discouraged to pursue that avenue because it's not a real job and so I left that for a while and did some real jobs (laughs) apparently some real jobs and then it was much later and I'd been writing all of that time I mean Sending huge amounts of emails and talking to people and, and you know, just talking about stories and how journalism stories, TV stories, and getting more and more angry that there just wasn't anything that seemed like my story out there. Um, I didn't see me out there. I didn't hear myself. And so... It sort of was just a last desperate attempt to have more stories about myself. <laughs> I think it was at the age of like 37 or something.
2: Wow. What contribution does your book make to our understanding of trauma?
1: Um, well, I think that... Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh, don't go.
3: No. No, no I no, was no. just
1: going to say... Um, just to add to it for context, so um, the uh, most renowned writer in Vanuatu is uh, still Grace Meramolisa who died in 2002. And so here we were finding all these um, people who had passed away and who were legends already and such legends that it almost becomes hard for new writers to, you know, voice their own concerns and think that they are worthwhile and there's no publishing industry and that was one of the reasons then that we wanted to put together an anthology that actually showcased all the stories and writing that is out there and so when you talk about trauma one of the reasons there are so many very hard-hitting and heartfelt poems and stories in this anthology is because a lot of uh, the writers have not had that platform before. So you have a chance to actually talk about things that have been quite suppressed or like uh, Nicole says about the anger that is in there that this is not talked about yet it is a problem. And so I think there's the intergenerational trauma, there's the um, colonialism lingering aspects that come in not least through language that has been suppressed um, but there's also the whole uh, misogyny and sexism in society, which is everywhere, but is maybe not talked about openly. Um, so these things have kind of come leaking out in the anthology. What would you say, Rebecca and Nicole Yeah um,
0: I just wanted to to add to that. Um, what Michaela is talking about there and I guess you know it's linked to that whole and that's how Michaela and I met as well was because I had written one of my pieces and I was actually reading through it just before the call and very personal intimate piece but very much in the first person right so one of the feedback that I received then and it was very much around the theme of you know domestic violence let's let's be real and let's talk about the real issues because that's one of the key issues that's facing women here in Vanuatu um, is the level of violence that's, that's, that's there. And like what Michaela's talking about, there is no outlet. How do you do that? I put out my story on social media and I get lots of offer of support, but there's also people just, you know, you should know better. You're educated. You've got a good job. You should know what to do in that situation. And you know, when I talk to some of the writers who submitted their pieces, they talk about similar themes around not being able to have that voice or that platform to be able to get that voice out there and that experience out there. And I remember one of the poems that you said, Ari, that you liked, written by um, Joanna, she talked about writing it for herself, you know, because who else do you write for and how do you put it out there? There's what Michaela is talking about, about there being no publishing industry. I think now we're seeing a lot more coming out and we will touch on some of that today in the call. But, you know, there really is a lack of that platform to be able to get it out. And, you know, we do stand on the shoulders of giants, but when you've got giants, how do you measure up? You know, I have my writing out there and people tell me, oh, yeah, maybe similar to the style of Grace Mirror Melissa. Well, I don't want to be a Grace Mirror Melissa. I want to be myself. You know, I want need to be out there for myself. And I guess this really provided that opportunity for all of that writing to be out there and to be out in the public sphere, to be talked about, to be celebrated, to have a sense of of release in a way and, and hopefully start to come to that healing. But again, I think, you know, there needs to be still a lot of work in that area.
2: What role does love play in the poems and stories collected in this anthology?
1: I think there's a huge amount of love and um, it's like uh, Kali Reganvanu was, um, her poem, which is a letter to Vanuatu, was published in the spin-off here in New Zealand. And in her explanation um, to the poem, she wrote about the fact that it comes from a place of deep love. For her country, and that is why she feels so strongly about the violence against women that we Rebecca touched upon, and you know the fact that things have not changed to the better for the majority of women. Um, and there is also reference back to Mera Grace Mera Molisa's poems, and and uh, where she talked about. Uh, colonialism but actually meant it was the women who were colonized even after Vanuatu gained its independence and so i think there's a huge amount of love and an expression of that things have to change for all of us in order for all of us to have a good life together wouldn't you say some something um yeah what do you think rebecca
0: i think so michaela and i think you know like love for nation, love for nationhood, Tina Poat, Katie poem, you know, the men in my life, my life, and the love for, for people that you have in your life. And I think of other pieces that reference uh, the love between a mother and a child, uh, love between a father and a daughter uh, is one of the pieces that's there, the relationship, I guess, between a father and a daughter, the piece by Yasmin Bjornan, um, Call Me Dad. Yeah, and Helen Tamtam, And I think, you know, those pieces speak to that, you know, the relationships and the love between family, with the bonds that you have between families and how that plays out. But then when you look on the darker side of it, you know, and I, that, that comes back again to the themes that we talked about in terms of trauma and abuse, it's, you know, expressions of love that hurt, expressions of love that draw blood, expressions of love where you're uh, one minute you're dancing, I think it's Rosalind Thor's poem, you're dancing to the beats of, of a slap, you know, and, and that love um, can be expressed in different ways, but it can be that it can be covered up as, as something else uh, and called love, but it's actually not love
1: and questioning what love actually means. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the fierce love of uh, mothers for the children, uh, both uh, Jennifer Kal- kalpokas Doan, who's uh, wondering what kind of uh, country and nation are we leave- leaving for our uh, future children, but also Telstar Jimmy's uh, wish to change things so her daughters won't experience what she experienced. And yeah, that kind of fierce almost... Uh, a lioness who is defending her cubs kind of love coming through. What are
2: some misconceptions about Vanuatu held outside of the country? And how does this anthology address those misconceptions?
0: I can start with that. And I, I refer to one of the poems that I have in there, in the anthology, that says they came, they saw they labeled, Hemitaim Maya. And, you know, while that talks about Vanuatu at the age of Forty. It also refers to some of what you know how the country is viewed by those on the outside. So not just the country, but a region as a whole. And while I don't want to talk about conflict generally, I guess what I'm referring to is you know we we're part of the we're part of Melanesia, uh, you know, and we and we make up huge population of the Pacific much more than, you know, the Northern Pacific, the other, the other ethnic groups within the Pacific. And sometimes we are seen as the, this arc of instability and that, you know, there's so much conflict and so much tension and just so much opportunity for, for, for things to happen. Sometimes we are talked about as, you know, a fragile state. One of the things that I've heard is, you know, we, you're, you're a backyard to these big countries that are surrounding, surrounding you and kind of this big brother, um, big brother attitude towards a small country. And I think, you know, we do see, um, we do see how Vanuatu has such a strong stance on, on, on key issues. For instance, we talk about the independence of, of countries like West Papua, like the Canucks, And we take a very strong stance on those issues and and i think that's where you you underestimate the power that's in there and the passion that's there by a very small nation state because of the population because of the size but there's so much opportunity that could be harnessed and that there is so much passion to, to stand up and to fight and to say we are an independent country but we also do stand up for the rights of of those around us, our Melanesian brothers and sisters, who are still fighting for a right to govern themselves. And I think that's one of the strengths that sometimes is underestimated and maybe seen differently from the outside.
2: What are your memories of the independence movement, the, the Nivanwatu independence movement? Do you mind sharing what you personally recall?
0: I have to say that Ari, um, I'm actually, I was born after independence, so I don't mm-hmm. have, okay. I feel like that's a question that maybe Nicole would be a better place to answer. I have very very little um, experience and memory of, of the pre-independence. I don't know if you wanna repeat the question for, sure. for Nicole.
2: Um, do you have any recollection of the independence movement in Vanuatu? And do you feel comfortable sharing what it was like living through Vanuatu's independence movement?
3: Um, I was born an independence year. So um, I don't recall independence as much, the movement, but I do um, recall some effects of um, Vanuatu's moved to independence. Hmm. Um, mainly that I think I was about six or seven years old. So six or seven years later, um, my father was looking, he's a, a Kiwi, a New Zealander, and he was looking at getting deported because all of the land was um, returning back to custom owners and um so that was a big thing in our family um trying to stay together Uh and so having actually been at sort of both ends of it at the same time um kind of uh, because of the land where my family farm is is um the custom owners are also my mother's family. And so there was that sort of push and pull effect of what was happening then.
2: Wow. Mm-hmm. There's one piece in the anthology entitled They Came, They Saw, They Labeled Hemi Ta'em Naoya, which describes Vanuatu as being quote unquote 40 years old. In your perspective, in what ways is contemporary Vanuatu? an adult? And in what ways is contemporary Vanuatu still an adolescent? Uh, do you feel comfortable sharing your own perspectives and some of the perspectives shared by the pieces in the anthology?
0: I can, I can start with that. Uh-huh. So um, I, I wrote this poem um, and I would say, you know, like it's also kind of putting down some key moments in, in the history of Anuatu and especially around women's empowerment. Um, the number of women that we, ha- we had in parliament, and I have to stress that because, you know, as a country that's mature, for me, is a country that, that makes decisions for the benefit of the whole population. And it's not at the benefit of some of the members of its population. Being women. So you have women who were in parliament at one time and were making decisions. Hilda Lini uh, was the Minister of Health when um, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child was ratified and the declaration of the National Children's Day. Now, I only learned that a lot later, but I just think women have a different perspective and they do bring a different perspective to decision making. And as a country, we really have regressed when we talk about key issues like that. We talk about the issue of violence. Uh, nobody's willing to stand up and say anything about it. But as a mature nation, you know, and it's and it's touted as you me 40. We are now 40 years old, but what do you have to show for that? You are 40 and you don't have any women in your national decision making body. You're 40 and you don't want to make decisions on violence against women and really take some strong actions to demonstrate that you are an adult. And for me, it's that disconnect between what we are saying and our words and what we are actually practicing and doing to demonstrate that. And I think there is a lot of, and there still is a lot of kind of lip service paid to different issues, but without actually wanting to put some real action behind that.
1: Mm. And just to add to that, there is a literary anecdote, too, because when Hilda Lini was campaigning to be elected into parliament, Grace Mera Molisa wrote um, a long poem for Hilda Lini and about her. And uh, Grace's daughter, eldest daughter, Viran Molisa Trieth, who is currently uh, Vanuatu's first female Supreme Court judge, Uh, She has also written the foreword to this anthology and, and, um, you know, gracefully said that Grace would be delighted with uh, this anthology to see that they are writing women and and all this power coming out. But um, Viram was a young girl at the time and she and her friend remember going through all the milling people at Independence Park and... uh, uh, selling these homemade uh, booklets, pamphlets, poetry collections, and saying, here's a poem about Hilda Lini. Would you like to buy it? And they sold all the uh, poetry books on that day at Independence Park. Um, so part of the campaign to get Hilda Lini elected.
2: Speaking of Hilda Lini, um what are the memories and legacies that Walter and Hilda Lini leave behind for contemporary Vanuatu. Can you describe who they are, your recollections of them, the pieces in the poem and poems in the anthology that allude to them, and the legacy they bequeath to Vanuatu today?
0: I'm going to start. I actually would have loved to have met Father Walter Lini I never got to meet him, 1992, when he passed away. And I remember, you know, hearing the news, but I never got to meet him. Hildelini, Lini, I have met and I have, you know, um, conversed with on different occasions. Uh, she's very strong, very strong woman, very opinion, opinionated. She knows what she wants. She's a female chief in her own right from the island of Pentecost, and she's taken the grades that are necessary to make her achieve, which gives her, you know, really, I think, you know, this is one of the things that with, with women in Vanuatu, a lot of the time in the meeting houses, in the Nakamas, you're told that you cannot speak as a woman because you are not allowed to speak in the Nakamal. And the likes of Hilda Leaney, she can stand up and she can speak because she has taken those rights. And I think similar to some of the other women who have been quite keen in, in the women's movement, uh, as it were. Father Walter Lini, I would say, you know, the things that we hear even, even nowadays in Vanuatu, one of the key phrases that he used, and that's been quoted over and over is, you know, respect is honorable, respect and be honorable. And for me, um, it's a go- it's a great thing, and, and people have used it on many different occasions. But then I go back to one of the poems that Grace, Mary, and Melissa had written about custom and and the things that we we take for granted as being the way our life is, and and that we're guided by. That often it's bastardized for the benefit of somebody, and I think this can happen with uh, with. With the quote that Father Lini uses in terms of respect and saying respect is honourable, that anybody can justify whatever they do by saying respect to me honourable and you should respect the things that I say and the things that I do, because that's the honourable thing. And it's been used in many campaigns over the years. Um, last year, I know it's been used in the 16 days of activism campaign against violence against women to say we respect women. But in saying that, there have been so many different uses of, of key idioms like this that sometimes you question uh, really the kinds, of, you know, the, the kinds of messaging that we are putting out there. The other thing that he's been quite known for, and linked to the whole independence movement, is this whole idea about saying, as as a country, Vanuatu is not independent. It cannot be truly independent until our Melanesian brothers and sisters are independent. And this is linked to the fight to free for free West Papua, as well as to the Kanak uh, movement to become independent. And you know, I think this is something that. Um, that's you know linked to Vanuatu's independence is the independence of of other Melanesian nations, which has been one of the things that Vanuatu's really advocated quite strongly on the global global platform.
1: Yeah, can I just uh, add to that? So yes. I interviewed for my PhD um, Mildred Sope, mm. who was born in 1950 on Ambay, and who's also one of the first published poets of Vanuatu. She was related to. Um, Grace Melamolisa through her father. So they both started writing. And uh, she was she is married to Barack Sope, who was uh, one of uh, uh, Vanuatu's uh, prime ministers. And Mildred Sope was encouraged by father Walter Lini to write about the independence struggle. Mildred Sope's concern is that so many of the current generation don't actually know what happened. They have no idea the sacrifices and the work that went into it to also get both women and men uh, actively taking part in the independence struggle. And Mildred Sope was one of those who worked uh, for the Vanuaku party and founded its women's wing and was pushing for it. So this is from Mildred Sober's, the interview I did with her, wow. which is in the anthology. And Mildred is saying, Father Walter Lini asked me, my daughter Angela and his daughter Laura to start writing about the independence struggle. I started interviewing Joe Natuman, Donald Kalpokas and some others. My husband, I didn't need to interview. Before Father Walter, Walter Lini died, he asked, have you started yet? And I said, yes, yes, yes. I started interviewing. He kept asking his daughter, but I don't think she wrote anything. Then my daughter died. Eventually, Kalkot, uh, Mataskelekele's wife, Hanson Mataskelekele, and me, we said, okay, why don't we start a book? Why don't we start with our history? Both of us married these boys from Ifira, Kalkot and Barak. So we started that way. She was writing, and I was writing, and then we put everything together and publish it. But then she died. And everything. I know she wrote because we talked about chapters. I know she did. After her death, I asked her daughters to look for her material. They said, oh, dad has everything of mom's and has hidden it away. I think he's just mourning. When she died and everybody was talking over her body, as they do, he came up to me. You're the one who was close to her. Can you say something? And I talked about her book. The title would have been How Many Miles We Walked. And everybody, everybody came up to me and said, Finish off the book, and I said okay. But there were two of us, and now I've lost my partner. But I'll try and finish mine. That was in 2010. Wow! So it has never been written.
2: Wow. Uh, speaking of Barack and Mildred, Sopé, can you say more about their personalities and their character virtues?
1: I'm not sure that uh, I can say anything more than that they have been very hard working all their lives and Mildred uh, has been a businesswoman and you know active in Vanuatu's independence struggle established the women's wing of the Vanuatu party and Barak Sope was Vanuatu's prime minister from 1999 to 2001 and they live on Ifira which is a major island in the harbour right in the harbour the Ifira were the original landowners weren't they of the whole foreshore actually where uh, Port Vila, the capital is. Mm, yeah, Rebecca, you are better placed. Sorry, uh, but, but and I was gonna
0: add that despite all of you know these accolades and what what Michaela has talked about in terms of uh, Barack and Mildred, uh, Mildred I got to know you know like much later as I talked about earlier, but she's so humble. She's such a humble, sweet person. Um, and she came when we did the book launch for Sister Up Strong. She was there, you know, I had been trying to get hold of her. And I know Michaela had also, uh, she turned up on the day and just, and I said, Filtred, you're going to sit right up the front. And she said, no, I'm going to sit in the back and, you know, I'm here to support. And she's just a lovely, sweet, down to earth person, which I think, you know, after all of what you've done, I think this goes back to what Michaela talked about in terms of linking that whole independence movement and to what is now and what what Vanuatu will become. I think some of that is definitely we are losing as we're losing the people that originally stood and fought for our independence.
2: Can you comment on the depiction of relationships in the pieces you present in the anthology? Can you comment on the messages that your anthology conveys regarding parent-child relationships, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, and husband-wife relationships. What lessons are conveyed?
1: Maybe um, if you wouldn't mind, Nicole, maybe you yeah, can talk because maybe... you have the oldest kind of link back there, which is very specific. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, I guess I can talk in terms of my writing. Um In relationships, I mean, I always feel in my life, and it's often reflected in my writing, is a duality. Um, And so it's always being tugged by one side as well as the other. And in my piece, The Octagonal House, I think the parent and child relationship is very much reflective of this um, always respecting your elders, which is a common you know, a very common thing in Vanuatu and not questioning um, and just you know being the good child basically Um, and as far as the relationship between husband and wife I think what comes across in my writing, anyway, um, in that relationship, is really sort of um, uh, an always deferring to, um, you know, the, the the partner who is the Westerner in the relationship, and so having having that partner always make all the decisions and feeling as if they knew best um, when in actuality more often than not it's not the case especially if you're living in Vanuatu so it's um yeah that's that's what happens in my stories anyway.
1: And and just to add to it, and here's a spoiler alert, this is about a young child, a girl child, who is sold basically twice, you know, if you look at it that way, isn't it, Michelle? Or Nicole? <laughs> um, Ar- arranged marriage, I would say.
3: Yeah, and also like the selling of yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah intergenerational story yeah and the giving up of yourself um Mm. under this notion that you know someone who represents um development etc knows best or the parent who represents that knows best
1: but you still have an amazing uh love the love between the, you know between the parents uh, but also towards the child it's not like it's a cruel and callous kind of transaction oh. and that's what makes it so heartbreaking <laughs> the there's love never
3: the yeah there's never any shortage of love in fact uh, love is the problem
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> we took it
2: all how does your book advance our understanding of post colonialism? How is Ni Vanuatu literature unique relative to other bodies of post colonial literature? How is a Ni Vanuatu contribution to post colonialism similar or different from other Oceanian contributions?
1: Well, if I could just start by setting the scene that there's very little literature, full stop, published from Vanuatu, and this is one of the problems. So when um, uh, the Commonwealth uh, Games were on 2014, they tried to find a poem from each country that was represented in the Commonwealth. And the only poem they could find, the only Vanuatu poem online, by a still living, breathing Vanuatu writer was Carol Aru's poem, Where is the Ni Vanuatu Girl, that she had written uh, several years beforehand, and it happened to be on the New Zealand Electronic Poetry Centre. And so there's a sadness in that kind of thought that Just like i was looking for the poets just like rebecca has been looking for them Uh, you know of grace mera molisa if you happen to know of vanuatu poetry or you are interested in pacific oceanic literature but uh, if you don't have a publishing industry and people are not knowing who they are looking for if you have the majority self-published on paper that is um, barely newsprint and it rots very quickly in humid tropical conditions, then you're not going to be able to find the writers. You don't even know who you're looking for. And so part of this uh, anthology is to try to get people interested in making kind of uh, reading and and making those uh, um, judgments and decisions themselves. This is the diversity of Vanuatu's voices. Um, where do you think it sits? Have you heard them before? At the back there are all these bios that are supposed to be like a map, trying to show you where you can find more. You can find their own collections, more of their voices. Listen to what they are trying to say and how they sound and what they are interested in. But the but Nuatu was celebrating its 40 years of um, independent nationhood. So it's definitely post-colonial. There's lots of aspects and there's three generations of writers, those who were pre-independence, those who came of age around independence, and those who then are born at independence or after. And so you have all these different perspectives. And I think that's in itself lends a kind of uh, width and... Uh, yeah, an exciting mix of, of uh, voices that can describe a reality, um, their own island reality, that is not the readers necessarily. I don't know if that made any sense.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate absolutely that, that reply. What role do children play in the stories and poems you include in this volume, and what realities of life in Vanuatu are conveyed through such stories?
0: I can start um, with that one. I think children play a really big role, I feel, in the anthology. And I think we only have to look at, you know, Catherine Lesser's poem. We only have to look at Katie Poet's poem about giving water lol geta and how we treat our children. We look at um, Jennifer Kalpaka's poem uh, around persevering and the kinds of future that we want to leave for our children, realizing that we are in key decision-making roles now, and we are making decisions that won't just affect the reality now, but uh, will be affecting the reality of children in the future. You look at Gael Mote's uh, piece around how motherhood changes you as a person. Um, and I think, you know, this anthology is so critical and makes such a big contribution in that area as well because women, the different roles that women play, they're women, they're themselves, their mothers, their carers, um, they play all these different roles in society. And society expects them to perform at the highest across all the different roles that they play without regard to the well-being of of women as well as of children. And I think, you know, children do play a huge role and they feature very strongly in the pieces that I included in in the poem. You're talking about Telstar Newman's uh, poem on on the future that she wants for her two girls, for her children, um, and, and having an experience that you don't wish for your child to have. So I think, you know, children do play a huge role. And I think as these uh, women are writing, they're reflecting on their experiences as, as children themselves, but also the the world that they want to create and they want to live for their children.
1: Yeah, and I think Nicole's uh, whole piece is, is uh, written also from, uh, you know, it's the children's story and the children's point of view that are, feel like the most urgent and important. Uh, but also the whole anthology opens with, uh, Children's stories. One, the first one is uh, this young boy who gets snatched by blackbirders by the regional slave traders uh, and taken to the sugarcane plantations in Australia. And then the next uh, poem is Frances Koya Vakauta, who is from Fiji, but has discovered that her great-great-grandmother who she thought was from somewhere else is actually from Vanuatu, from Pele Island, just off the coast of Efate, the main island where Port Vila is. And uh, it's a heartbreaking story where she discovers that this this young girl who was not even a teenager slept on the floor uh, by next to the Irishman George in his 4 poster bed at the estate of Kadavu, and when we had a book launch here in Palmerston North in New Zealand for the anthology in May last year, I had asked a Fijian um, woman to read this poem if she, it was possible. And Unaisi said to me just before we started, Michaela, do you know that I'm actually, I grew up on the estate of Kadavu, she said, and we all just had goosebumps, you know, and um, yeah, it was a very, very emotional moment.
2: Thank you. How has this book been received outside of Vanuatu? What kind of attention have you received so far?
0: Um, I'll, I'll start. And I know Michaela will have lots to add there, but I was going to say, you know, on the day that we launched the book here in Vanuatu, that was the day when we got our first review. Uh, and we were honored and, and completely humbled by the validation validation that came with that. And it was by Pacific's own poet, So Dr. Selina Tussital in Kete uh, wrote about the book. And it was, we were in the final legs of preparing for the launch. Uh, and we were going to have a, a writers' festival as part of that. None of us knew what a writers' festival was because we had never attended one. Uh, and we were planning all these things for the launch. We were going to have... Um, 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 Grace Melissa's daughter, come firstborn child, come to 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 do the uh, keynote, and and she wrote the foreword for the book, uh, and 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 we we got this review, and that was just the best thing. I think you know there was no other reviews that could come after that it could say anything controversial about the book because we had the blessing of Dr. Selina Marsh uh, and she wrote some amazing things about. About the book and just provided um, the review that really I think set the book up on a on a on a, on a level on its own. Um, that we needed that was like the validation that we need there has been a few more reviews that have come out after that that have really been in the same vein and I don't think you can go against the grain of of something that's a a well-respected academic as well as a poet had put out and also somebody who had very strong linkages to the pacific that's what I wanted to say about that one
1: yeah, and uh, uh, Dr. Selina Tusitala Marsh, uh, she was both the Commonwealth uh, Poet Laureate and the New Zealand's Poet Laureate, and she's an amazing performer, and uh, yeah, to have her blessing, that was amazing, and she was, of course, A student of uh, Albert Wendt, who is really called the godfather of Pacific literature. And Albert Wendt was the one who uh, was lecturing in Fiji in the 1970s and collated the very first ever poetry anthology, which was called Some Poems, Some New Poems from uh, the New Hebrides and then it was published in 1975 and republished after independence in, and uh, as some modern poems from Vanuatu. Mildred Sope is one of um, the poets there. She has uh, several poems in it. Um, but, you know, to kind of, again, we stand on the shoulders of others who have gone before us and, and it all links back and we are just so honored to be part of that um, in a small way and, and that it was so well received. So we have now a, um, Review coming with uh, Professor Emerita Margaret Jolly from the Australian National University, which is going to be in the Contemporary Pacific in the next issue, and we we are quite blown away by that one too because she has shared it with us before it was published, and it's almost like oh my goodness, um, you know, not in our wildest dreams. <laughs> we are so honored about that one too. Yeah,
2: thank you. As we wind down our dialogue today, um, one final question I'd like to ask you is: It is it, it's, it's is what what's next for you? Do you have a future anthology that you are working on? Do you intend to do any future writing?
0: I'll start with that. Since when we launched here, the first question that people asked me, and you know, there's some very strong figures in Vanuatu who support literature. One of them is the leader of opposition, so the Honourable Ralph Reganvano. banu His first question to me was, so when is the next one coming out? And so, um, and Michaela and I and others have had many conversations about this. And we just said, honestly, let's just celebrate this. Let's celebrate this. This is the first one that has come out. Let's celebrate it and let's give it time um, for people to have conversations about it, just like we are having conversations about it now. Uh, and really wanting to get it out through schools so we 've we 've been really lucky to get some funding from the New Zealand government and been able to purchase some copies that we brought to Vanuatu um, and distributing through schools really limited copies, but to get it out there for for that future generation that we 've been talking about to be able to enjoy so I, I would say at this point, no anthology on the horizon, but Mikaela, watch out. I mean, we got to do something for the 45th anniversary of <laughs> Oh, um, Thanks for the head, up. <laughs> but, but just in terms of my own personal journey in writing, and I have to say that uh, Sister Sun Up Strong has been a huge boost to that. Uh, and thanks to this amazing team that we've been able to work with, Michaela And it's not just the two of us. I mean, we had a whole team that was working on this, including the writers themselves, Yasmin Bionan, who is not here, tells to Jimmy, um, and uh, one more who
1: lives in Fiji. I think, this, also, I mean, I think uh, for any writer, like Rebecca mentioned as well, we need to be able to write in between. So we hope that the anthology would have served as an inspiration for the writers to write their own things, um, because... Uh, It takes a lot of work and energy away from the writing itself. And Rebecca is heading off to Brisbane Writers' Festival and is going to have opportunities there to talk about writing, regional uh, literature. Uh, And some of my work is being performed in my islands, the Orland Islands, as part of our centennial for our autonomy, uh, now in May. And that's very exciting. A Finnish composer who has composed a multimedia two-hour long concert where one of my poems is going to be performed music and um, I think all of those things are, are really exciting things to have happen to you if you are a writer so right now we are both trying to write our own things both poetry and fiction and non-fiction as well and do whatever we can to also connect others Wonderful. and if I
0: can just if I can yes. just add to that I think you know finding those opportunities to write those shorter pieces as well to kind of keep the momentum going is like what Michaela is referring to. So one of the projects that I'm involved in as a volunteer, and like I don't know how we find the time to do all these things, but we do is with the Vanuatu Children's Literature. And we're writing a children's book um, that's coming out in in hopefully in July. Um, call us Crazy, but we did get one book out. Um, for the 40th anniversary so this is kind of a follow-up to that but really looking at kind of those change makers that we talked about and I think it's it's finding those opportunities to kind of focus on the shorter pieces that still your passion and motivation can still go down there on paper and get out there without losing hope like me when you're stuck in trying to do work but you you know that you have to write as well so uh, because we do this outside of the times that we, we spend in our, in our work. So, yeah, I'm really honoured that I will be attending the Brisbane Writers' Festival. I've also been invited, and I told Michaela this quite recently, to the 32nd uh, Poetry Festival, Midland Poetry Festival in Colombia, and to read some of my own work, which I wouldn't have been able to do, honestly, without this anthology has has been really the catalyst behind a lot of this. Um, I'm also trying to write some of the longer pieces. Again, finding the time to do all of that is is incredibly hard, but really wanting to to kind of focus and get those, those down on paper. So yeah, I really do feel like this anthology has, has been a huge boost to literature in Vanuatu as well as in Oceania, because honestly, this has opened doors for me beyond Vanuatu into engaging at, at the regional level beyond, beyond uh, this country.
2: Thank you. Um, before ending, I was curious if you would like to share a poem with us from the anthology. Is there anything that you would feel comfortable sharing as a sample for our listeners and to give voice to at least one of the writers who devoted something to this work?
1: I think that um, maybe a shorter poem by by Helen Tamtam or someone who's, but also we could um, read our own and Rebecca can read hers. Uh, or would you like to read uh, Keti's poem? I mean, she's part of related to you.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to read uh, Katie Keti Dunnapot's poem for you today. Sure. If that's all right.
2: Sure, please.
0: Um, and then I don't know how you feel, Michaela, we could read our piece together if that's okay. So for you today, Keti Dhanapuat. Today I saw you in the faces of your sleeping children. I sensed you in their awakening. Today I saw you in the trees and flower shrubs that you planted with love, landscaped like an artist for my pleasure. Today I felt you in the gentle breeze blowing gently over my face in the early morning light, like your loving caress. Today I heard you In the birdsong overhead, I saw you in the clouds above the sea at Ikama, and imagined you in the breakers at Iwaru. When the phone rang today and you spoke to me, everything fell in place in a profound kaleidoscope that I existed only for you. Hmm.
1: That's so beautiful. So the next poem is, um... Rebecca and I wrote a joint poem, and this is uh, after the cyclone, Cyclone Pam in 2015, when so many things were destroyed, but also women talking to each other, past each other, maybe occupied, preoccupied with their own things. I love you with a question mark. Where are all the bananas when you crave one? Takes nine months for the herb to shoot. New fruit-bearing limbs light its purple-red lamp unfold ten rings of green fingers.
0: Those were the words on her messenger screen. Seriously? She barely knows you, jerk. And you're already spouting I love yous? Doesn't he know she has met many like him? Those who use their words to get what they want. Words as as sweet as ripe
1: mangoes in season. Thinking about what might transpire in nine months. Thinking of those thinking about what could happen in nine months and all that happened.
0: Okay, maybe overripe mangoes just about to go off. She is 25 turning 40. This is what people tell her. They tell her she is complex. She wonders if it's complex, like a wide woven Futuni's match, or a highly strung ambi basket, almost PNG like in texture.
1: I wish you knew how intense the taste of that first banana after a cyclone, like freshly squeezed pamplemousse juice, the first yam harvested beyond carbs, water, sweetness, more than potassium and tryptophan, slight tartness of wild berries tastes sun rain and life, promises that all will be well. And that's why we eat another, and another, and another.
0: If only she were naive, like a girl who just had her kaluku. After seeing her first period and coming of womanhood, then maybe the I love yous would be taken differently. For now, this girl of 25 turning 40 unfriends him. And blocks him on messenger.
1: I think you should take Hemi time now, to finish, Rebecca. You think so? Yes, you mentioned so many uh, times. Okay, so
0: I'm gonna do a last one. So sure. this is one of mine. Uh, they came, they saw, they labeled. Mm-hmm. Hemi time now, yeah. They came, they saw they labeled and they are here still labeling still they came they saw they labeled still labeling fragile states unfinished states small island developing states arc of instability pacific island countries and territories pacific islands least developed country graduating to middle-income country, as if graduating is cause for celebration. Neo-colonialism, call it out for what it is, not another's backyard, all labels with inescapable implications. Vanuatu, who are you? You, you, threat? No more acquiescing is no more, coupled with rubber stamp processes. It is now time. It is time for critical thinking. Hemi time now, ya. Time long Happy birthday, Vanuatu! Now start acting like you're 40.
2: Thank you for sharing these pieces. Um, I personally am deeply moved, and I wanted to convey how overwhelmed with humility I am to be in dialogue with you today, to have read these pieces myself, and how overflowing with gratitude I am to both of you for your attention and your time today. I'm blessed to have spoken to you. And I would love to recommend this volume to all of our listeners, especially on the occasion of Easter. This would be a beautiful Easter gift, but I would love to recommend this book uh, to any and every of our listeners. This book is full of moving, inspiring, and profound voices in poetry whose wisdom and moral conscience I personally attest to.
1: Thank you for having us.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you you so much, Ari. And I'm so sorry that it took so long, but we've we've done it and thank you so much.
2: Thank you. It's my absolute honor Um, to our listeners. This is your host with the New Books Network podcast, Ari Barbalat. I've been in dialogue with writers Michaela Niman and Rebecca Olulhasen, as well as Nicole Colmar, writers from New Zealand and Vanuatu, who have edited and contributed to the volume Sista Stand Up Strong. A Van Watsu Women's Anthology, published in New Zealand by Victoria University of Wellington Press 2021. Thank you.
1: Thank you.